Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. We're back on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. This is Chris Towers, joined by Scott White and a very special guest today. We've got Ariel Cohen, who contributes to Sportsline, Fangraphs, all kinds of places. You might know him from his ATC projections, which are on Sportsline.com. Arrow, how's it going? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me on the show, Chris. Thanks for coming on. You know, we uh, we talked yesterday about um, how we're handling like the self isolation and what uh, TV shows and movies we might be watching. What what are you what have you got to uh, pass the time right now? You know, it uh, hasn't really hit me so much in terms of boredom. Uh, things at, at my day job are actually very hot right now. Uh, as you can imagine, I work for an insurance company, so sure. we're talking about what possibly can we be on the hook for. I mean, we <laughs> do a lot of commercial property, and you know, there's I'm sure there's a lot of business owners who are going to file for some business interruption uh, claims, and so we're dealing with a lot of that. Uh, and I got two kids at home here. Uh, who I got to watch during the day, and that spills into the afternoon and evening. So boredom is not my problem at the moment. <laughs> okay. Scott, how are you that holding sounds up? sounds like a nightmare insurance. <laughs> We're worried about when baseball starts. Scott, how, uh, how no, are you I, I actually up? I love my job. Uh, I, I get a nice view of a lot of things that go on in the world from it. So uh, yeah, it's better it's better than you think it is. Not not your job. I just mean <laughs> dealing with it right now with all the uncertainty. But oh but, yeah. yeah, but 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 we love uncertainty as actuaries. So <laughs> Scott, you holding up all right? Uh yeah, yeah, I'm holding up fine. But, you know, I'd. I, I've I've been staying home during the day with the kids for the the past couple years now, so that's not new. But what is new is that, uh, particularly over the past year, one of them's been at school, yeah, all that time, and now they're both home. And their favorite thing to do when they're together is is try to hurt each other, sure. or try to get the other in trouble, or try to take something that the other wants so I'm, I'm playing a lot of referee right now it's I, i'm not bored either though that's not a problem for me either yeah see i don't have kids so it, it's uh it's pretty calm around here you know it's just the uh it's just the cats who uh you know as soon as i start recording the podcast or as soon as i jump on a meeting for work that they mostly ignore me during the day but then as soon as i start talking that's when they just like want all of my attention and start yelling at me. So, uh, you know, that's the only thing. But, you know, I can't complain. I've got it pretty easy. I've got a pretty cushy uh, home setup. So, don't want to complain too much. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite picks from rounds four through six. We're going to be talking about the ATC projections, which you can get on sportsline.com, and just kind of what goes into them, what's being updated right now, and who gains and loses as a result of a delay to the season. So we'll get to that a little later, but I also want to tell you guys about a lot of other stuff that we've got going on, including we're going to be trying to do some Ask Facebook, Ask Fantasy Baseball Today Anything live shows on our Facebook group. Uh, we'll probably record those as podcasts, but basically what we want to do is just kind of interact with our audience, 
you know, try to find ways to pass the time and just use you guys to, uh, to give us questions and we'll, we'll pretty much answer whatever you guys ask. So make sure you join the Facebook group. It's facebook.com slash group slash fantasy baseball today. You can also just search for fantasy baseball today on Facebook and you should be able to find it. Uh, we'll be recording a fantasy baseball today draft special for CBS sports HQ in the coming days. Not exactly sure when that's going to air, but probably next week. Uh, Scott has spent the last couple of days updating our top 200 player rankings breakdowns where we make the case for and the case against drafting each player. Those have been updated. They're on CBS Fantasy uh, right now. Scott, they're all updated now? They are all updated, the top 200, and uh, gotten good feedback from the people who've read them. So it's, it's a lot of information there, but it's obviously something you have more time to pour over, dare I say, right now, and it'll make you as prepared as you possibly can be for uh, for your draft, at least at least knowing the upside and downside for everybody that you're going to want to pick in the in the first two hundred. And if you want those sent directly to you, you know, right now it's a it's a pretty good time to sign up for our fantasy baseball today newsletter. We're gonna still be sending that out daily. You'll get all of our stuff right in your inbox. It's really great. I write it, I put it together, so I make sure that it's got the best content that we have right in your inbox every afternoon. And of course, as always, your emails at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. We'll get to some of your emails later on in the show. But first, we do actually have some injuries, news, and notes to go over from the last uh, 24 hours or so. And the most important one, Justin Verlander had surgery on his groin and he will need six weeks to recover. This is in addition to the lat strain that had already kind of you know, delayed what would have been the start to his season. Does this change how you view Justin Verlander at all? Scott? Not, not, <laughs> not really. I mean, it, it's, they say he should be ready for the start of the season. It, it caught me by surprise. I mean, here we were worried about his lat, and he's going in for surgery on something else. Apparently, this was something that was reported early in spring yeah. training, uh, though it got swept under the rug pretty quickly. I, I guess the... Like, I'm not worried about his recovery from the surgery itself, but it is it is interesting that here in his late 30s, before the season even starts, he has two fairly significant injuries. And at some point, his body's not going to be able to do it anymore. Could this be the start of it? It's a little too speculative for me to move him down based on it, but it, the thought has crossed my mind. Arrow, how do you view Justin Verlander in light of this news? Is he still uh, one of those top four starting pitchers for you? Well, I mean, I brought him down with the, the news injury of, of the lat uh, way back. I, I don't think this uh, groin surgery affects it. I mean, if you really want to know the answer, maybe ask Kate Upton about that. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, in terms of moving him down any further, no. Uh, the coronavirus delay of the season should heal him up for that. Uh, I know that Verlander is an adamant guy about sleeping at least 10 to 11 hours a day. So he actually does know how to get his body in shape and how to recover. Uh, so uh, I, I'm optimistic about Verlander. Uh, if people want to take a discount because of this, uh, I'll buy it. 10, 11 hours a day. Jeez, good for him. That's right. Yeah. Man, That's, we should uh... all be so lucky. 
Yeah, no, he, he's uh, very adamant to that uh, a healthy, uh, the way that he stayed healthy is because of his uh, sleep management. So uh, oh. uh, I, I can't say that I, I, I doubting him. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a good tidbit. I hadn't heard that before. <laughs> For me, yeah. it's just, um, you know, famously, Justin Verlander has only been on the IL once in his entire career. It's a very long career. He's 37 years old. That streak will continue as of opening day because neither of these ailments are going to land him on the IL. But I, I do wonder, like, if this had happened while games were happening and then he comes back, I feel like people would be more concerned. Um, you know, I think, like, a lat strain and then groin surgery, he's going to be coming back from both. He's 37 years old. It's just, it's warning signs. Like you said, Scott, I don't think it's necessarily something that I would move him down for, but it's definitely something I'm concerned about. Um, and it might make it more likely that he's the fourth of those four starting pitchers. Um, right. Yeah. Well, one other thing, though, um, the fact that the season is going to be shorter doesn't mean that he doesn't have to go full strength for 200 innings. He's only going to have to go full strength for 120 innings or so. So uh, I, he doesn't have to be durable for an entire season, just have to be durable for a short season. That helps any of the older guys. If you have uh, concerns about age, guys like Charlie Morton, Max Scherzer, uh, I think this whole delay helps all those guys. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see what ends up happening with the schedule, and we'll talk about that a little more. But, you know, if the season is shortened, the one thing I do wonder is, is it going to be like the, I think it was the 2010-2011 NBA season where they played 66 games, but they also had fewer days off? I wonder if that's something we're going to see in baseball where, you know, maybe they keep the same number of days off, but they have more double headers. Either way, it's it might yeah. be fewer opportunities for guys yeah. to rest. That would be my concern. Um, I, I think it's I think it's a given. It's going to be shorter, but how much shorter and how they they rejigger the schedule for that I, it remains to be seen. There, I've seen that there are talks about maybe having the playoffs even extend into sep- uh, December, playing them in a uh, neutral site that's obviously element free enclosed stadium or whatever so there it seems like a lot of ideas are still on the table and um i i mean it's impossible to guess at this point but i'm i'm cautiously optimistic that it will be at least three quarters of a season all right willie calhoun also vows to be ready for opening day i saw a report that uh you know he had surgery put a plate in his chin he hasn't had any concussion symptoms yet and you know, if the, the Rangers were continuing with spring training, there would have been a chance for him to start participating in team activities as soon as next week. So doesn't sound like the, the hit-by-pitch that Willie Calhoun suffered when he got hit in the face um, is going to be a concern moving forward. So how are you guys handling Willie Calhoun? I moved him back up most of the way. That's what I've done for, all of, for pretty much all of these players. I... I I, I don't think I moved a single one all the way back just because of recovering from an injury. There's possibility of a setback. There's possibility of it uh, hampering effectiveness right from the start. But most, but but basically all of them, not Chris Sale because his situation's a little sketchier. But the rest I've moved almost back to where I originally had them. Uh, this is. It, it maybe hurts Nick Solak's value a little, though I still think he'll find a way to get in the lineup more days than not. Uh, five days a week or whatever, just moving around the diamond. But Willie Calhoun 
is somebody you shouldn't be too scared of drafting. Ariel, yeah, do you like uh, Willie Calhoun? I, 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 I liked Calhoun going into the season. Uh, to me, uh, I, I would spend two seconds worrying about him. He's back to whatever his value was. I think the bigger thing for him is that I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of helmet he wears. If you remember that whole Giancarlo Stanton helmet yeah. a couple years ago, that was pretty cool. He's gonna come <laughs> up. He's got he's got the time now to come up with this really cool helmet. So that's my that's my fantasy take on him. It's the helmet which is more interesting yeah. than the injury. He's, <laughs> Stan, he's fine. Stanton had that cage that was a G. You know, obviously yeah. a C for for Calhoun makes the most sense, but I would like to see like a like a stylized W. I think that would be the cool way to go. The W is the best letter to stylize. There's just it it ta- it's already so wide, so there's a lot of like uh, surface area to work with. You can make Ws look fancy schmancy. I know this as somebody whose last initial is W, and I've seen a few monograms in my day. <laughs> it, you can make the W look pretty cool. L's good too. L's good too. I mean, but I think W's best. W's tied for first with M, right? With M. You, you know, I, I think they're for the some same, reason they're the though, same just, thing. Just that the, just the fact that the W is like face, like it's a bowl. You know, like I, I feel like you can do more going into the into the bowl of the W <laughs> than you can coming up from underneath the M. Well, the I best could be letter. Wrong. The best letter is uh, the letter X. And fun fact for you, there has never been a major league player with the last name that starts with the letter X who has hit a home run. <laughs> that is a fun fact. Yeah. Interesting. There have been there have been players whose last name is X, but nobody who's hit a home run. That's right. Wow. Hmm. I don't know if I can even think of a player with a, whose last name started with X. Probably XU for, for some uh, Asian player or stuff. Yeah, yeah, I guess... Uh... But yeah, I can't think of anything. And then, speaking of Giancarlo Stanton, he took batting practice at uh, Yankees camp. I guess he's hanging out there. And, uh, you know, we've seen him take live batting practice already. Another one, I know a lot of people moved him down. A lot of people haven't had him uh, discounted before the injury. Scott, you had him as a bust. Obviously, you've probably moved him back to where he was. But what's your outlook on Giancarlo Stanton this year, Ariel? I mean, uh, Stanton's injury tendencies, it's not like somebody who has an injury and you have to discount him front-loaded season. He's more like the Troy Tulowitzki type injury where he's just injury-prone and you don't know where he's going to be. So any discount on him is not because of this current one. It's because of what he could be. Um, I mean, Giancarlo Stanton said to a reporter yesterday that if the season started now and there was no coronavirus, he would hit 80 homers. So uh, that, that gives me a nice uh, boost of confidence. Uh, I think he'll be re- recovered from his calf injury in time. Um, you know, I, I would treat him like you would have uh, back in November, you know, uh, where he's going to be a, maybe a fourth, fifth round player because of injury risk uh, with the upside of first round if he can stay healthy, which uh, could mean 60-plus homers in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in on Giancarlo Stan. I'm trying to get him as many places as I can before the injury, after the injury. Uh, love the value for him, even if he does settle in in that fourth and fifth round range. For me, it's just when he's been healthy, and yes, obviously, that when is doing a lot of work there, um, he's been a top 25 player pretty much every time. And so, you know, he didn't miss a single game with injury between 2017 or 2018. 2019 was obviously a disaster. But we know he can stay healthy, and the upside if he does stay healthy is so significant. And we've seen 
no sign of his skill set diminishing that uh, I just, I love taking the chance on Giancarlo Stan. He's going to be, well, he's already on a lot of my teams. And from when we draft moving forward, he's going to continue to be on a lot of my teams. All right, let's get to an email of the day from Wes from Oakland. As always, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com to get your emails. I, I put the answer to the little game in the, in the notes that I sent you guys accidentally. So I think you're going to get this one. Hey, Mancini, Young, Turner, and Turner. Obviously. That's four different trades. All spelled differently. So Oh. That's, that's fun. Neat. I think and tra- none of them none of them spelled like, you know, an actual tray, like you'd put food. Well, I don't on. think anybody spells their name like an actual tray, right? Like T R A Y. That's I'm sure I'm sure somebody could pass that off as a name. Like I feel like Bring T- over the tray tray. T R E Y is the is the one you see the most. And then obviously there's Trey Young. T-R-A-E, Trey Turner, T-R-E-A, and Trey Turner, T-R-A-I. I believe he's an offensive lineman in the NFL. Definitely plays in the NFL. Uh, it's cool how there are four across three sports, and they are all spelled differently. That's Wes's comment. Uh, his email, I just had a draft tonight, Monday. Went heavy on the risers from delayed spring training, like we were just talking about, and one he had forgotten about and hadn't heard discussed on the podcast was Rich Hill. He probably won't be ready for a delayed opening day, but now he won't be missing half the season like before. And we know how good he is on a start-by-start basis. No question, just wanted to point him out as another delayed opening day riser. And Rich Hill is someone that, uh, in some of these deeper leagues that I've done, you know, Rat Slam uh, in particular, I believe I have Rich Hill on my roster in that one. And yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a really good late-round flyer that a lot of people aren't talking about. The only concern with him is he, I believe, for, for went, for foregoed, Tommy John surgery. It was definitely went, yeah. For went Tommy John surgery. Tried for like a different kind of shorter uh, recovery yeah. period, and I just don't know the track record. Like what we've seen when when guys have tried to delay Tommy John surgery is almost always they end up having Tommy John surgery. I think the one exception was probably Masahiro Tanaka, right? Irvin Santana There you go. Uh, played with... He, he never ended up having it. He played most of his career with a slight tear. So it's not out of or, the question. Or maybe he did. I'm sorry. Maybe he did finally have it, but it, it was years later if yeah. he did. It's not out of the question that Rich Hill avoids elbow surgery, but what we know with Rich Hill is like Giancarlo Stan, it's not necessarily do you downgrade him because of the opening day injury now, it's you downgrade him for the subsequent injuries and the limited innings that you almost always have to deal with. But uh, how do you guys view Rich Hill in 2020? All right, Irvin Santana did not have it. Okay, I looked it up now. Did not have it. He did not suffered have the injury Johnson. in 2009 and didn't have it. So, Rich Hill. Uh, I was I was curious as what the original timetable was. It was like June. So I was look, I, I was looking it up, and it, it was like early mid June. Yeah, yeah. So that's that could be opening day. I, there's not much hope of the season starting more than a couple weeks before that. Um, that's that's a really good one. I need to move him up my rankings. I just I had him buried, not expecting any kind of contribution this year, but. I mean, the questions you say about how he's going to bounce back and and just general durability. I mean, I mean he's a 40-year-old coming back from elbow surgery. But good ratios when he's healthy, That's that's always been the case. 
Arrow, how are you viewing Rich Hill in Minneapolis this year? I mean, the Twins decided to spend $3 million to bring in Rich Hill. Um, that's him pitching nothing. It'll cost him $12.5 million if he pitches a whole half a season. Uh, so they felt the need to gamble, and the Twins are actually one of the more analytical uh, organizations that I respect. Uh, so I think that very, very likely you might see him pitch, uh, assuming we start the season somewhere in the middle, uh, and it would be a good gamble and I think a very good player that had his value boosted um i mean uh, you want to get these players now at a discount who were going at discounts a couple weeks ago but now because the season starts in the middle um chill is worth quite a lot more he might miss very little time and you can get a possible you know mid-level starter for next to nothing now all right, bonus question from wes what's the deal with matt carpenter is everyone just assuming he's washed adam wanted me to point out that uh, Adam hates when people say washed, but that is because Adam is the oldest person in his mid-30s in America. The kids say washed. Adam wants us to say washed up. I'm fine with either. I'm not going to let Adam, uh, you know, Listen, be an agent. Washed up is enduring, all right? Washed, washed is going to be gone next year, right? Who says on fleek anymore? You, you, can't, you can't get caught up in the trends. The problem is, so here was the problem is, like, on fleek was a thing that, like, not cool olds decided to start saying. Like, Heath Cummings started saying well, on fleek. Okay. That ruins it. Washed... Well, isn't, it, isn't it going to ruin Washed? I don't... Washed has been around for a while. You know, Washed is, a. Uh, I feel like Washed is going back, like, a decade now. Washed has had I don't even lives. know what you guys are talking about. I've never even heard <laughs> of any of these. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you guys think of uh, Matt Carpenter? Scott, you have him racked behind the guys like Kyle Seeger, Tommy Estella, David Fletcher. Yeah. Does he still have star or starter upside in an OBP league? Uh, ups, I mean, I can foresee a scenario where that works out nicely for you. Yes, I think it's, I think it's a low probability play. When a guy in his mid-30s crashes that hard, uh, I, I'm generally inclined to believe it especially since i mean down the stretch last year tommy edmund was playing more than him I, i'm not sure the cardinals are fully invested on matt carpenter as an everyday player anymore yeah, uh, Carpenter, he's done this kind of shenanigans every spring where he, uh, oh my goodness, got a bad back and you think he doesn't play. Uh, in 2018, he played pretty well. It, it took him uh, two months to get into it. Then he hit 36 homers for the entire season. Um, and the question is, you know, what, what's his upside for this year, assuming he's healthy? I don't think it's more than 15, 20 homers. And I don't think he's going to hit for more than about a 230, 240 batting average. So he's not that exciting in terms of his upside if you're in obp league maybe a little bit more he's got about 120 difference between his obp and batting average historically uh but for me he's not that interesting uh i really can't see especially in a shallower league even putting any money on him because uh, i mean i'd rather throw money at a prospect or somebody interesting uh even if he is healthy uh, 15 20 homers 230 average it doesn't interest me at all so i'm gonna pass i think the upside's a little higher um just because I, I don't necessarily believe that one down season means, you know, it's the end. It, it could possibly be, like Scott said, at his age, it's not out of the question that he just lost it. Um, 
it's hard for me to take an, uh, a flyer on him in a 12-team league, but in I, I think I have him in at least one of my 15-team leagues, and I, and I think that's okay. I think that's where you start to reach a point where even in a 15-team uh, league, you probably don't have to draft him as anything more than a reserve player. And in that case, mm. I'm fine grabbing him there. So, yeah. That's Sorry. Go ahead, Ariel. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, uh, you know, because of the situation here, you know, uh, if you grab him as your last reserve pick and the season starts somewhere in July and you find out he's not playing, you just cut him really easy. Um, but if he's able to get himself in shape and play from day one, that could be a big pick. I, I, I like him more in this scenario than earlier in the season where you're grabbing a guy, he's a slow starter. Should you have him? Should you cut him? Even in 2018, a lot of people who had him, they, they cut him right away in the first uh, month or so. I wasn't one of those guys. I held on to him, but a lot of people did, and they lost all the upside. Uh, so I think he's more valuable now than he was before, but I, I'm still passing. All right, let's so move when on. I'm, oh, sorry. When I'm targeting Scott. upside late in those 15-team drafts, and, and, and this I, I, I'm not saying either scenario is right or wrong. This is just what I tend to do, and I've had some success with it, but, you know. I'm I'm sure there. I, I, it's not necessarily the right way to go. I'm just saying, like I I tend to go more for like a Ryan Mountcastle or a Nate Lowe or even like an Alec Baum, kind of the next wave of right. players. Um, and so I'm so focused on those that I don't even give a second thought to Carpenter, who I'm mostly, mostly convinced is over and done. But it, it's it, it's not like I I, it's not like I can definitively say there's no upside there. So if if that's if that's more where you're inclined to go, I mean it just depends on where you think he is in his uh, in the aging curve and how close he is to being done. All right, let's move on to the ATC projections. These are the projections that Ariel puts together every year, and they tend to be pretty good. Ariel, tell us about them. Yeah, well, uh, Fantasy Pros ranked them as the number one most accurate projection model of last year ahead of their own projection systems. <laughs> so that, that really says a lot. Um, if anybody hasn't seen them, ATC stands for Average Total Cost. Uh, and it is an aggregation of many other projection systems. You know, I do uh, insurance modeling, and I, I actually do a lot of uh, hurricane forecasting modeling. If you guys ever see those uh, three- and five-day cones where, you know, here, here's where possibly a hurricane can be, and they have a dotted line in the middle. Oh, we've well, the seen a lot line, of them living in South Florida. Huh? We've seen a lot of them living in South Florida. Uh, yes, you would have. Um, and that dotted line represents actually an aggregation of a bunch of other projection models. There's the European model, the BAM model, the fuel dynamics model, the North American model, so on and so forth. But it's not just a straight average. What they do is some models are better for temperature. Some models predict wind speed better. Some models predict uh, um, a storm surge better. Each one has things that they're slightly better at. And the aggregation of it takes a higher weight of the uh, models for the variables that are better, and they take a higher weight for them. So I use that principle, and I apply it to fantasy baseball, which is more important, of course. <laughs> um, and there are some projection systems that historically have been better for home runs. Some have been better for pitcher strikeouts. Some are better for stolen bases. And I give more credit to the historical models for the ones that are better at whatever they're better at and less uh, weight to the ones that they're crappier at. And when I do this, it's a very smart model. It's very much like uh, what Nate Silver does at 538, yep. where he projects uh, political for 
forecast, and he's really, really accurate in doing so, and uh, so I've been accurate uh, in doing so thus far, and uh, if nothing else, it's a really great base model. You know, if, if you're going to start and say, hey, what projection sh system should I start with? Start with ATC, because that's going to give you the best elements of everything else. Yeah, and you can get the ATC projections on Sportsline. Do you have a promo code, by the way? Uh, I don't think I have any special promo code okay. uh, for Sportsline. Um, I think uh, Parlay is uh, one of the codes that are going around here, and I think you can sign up for uh, Sportsline for $1 for the very first month. Very, very worthy investment. Yeah, and uh, you're going to be updating those on Thursday. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the updates that you're making at this point, given all of the uncertainty surrounding the season, when it's going to start, you know, what are you taking into account when you're updating the ATC projections at this point? Yeah, I mean, usually at this time in March, I, I'm relying on the other projection systems that underline ATC to, to update. And by this time, it's pretty stable. We're just looking at injured players and who's hurt and who's getting more playing time. Uh, now that's pretty much stopped uh, as far as far as uh, the, the COVID-19 issues. Uh, but what I am pre uh, updating on Thursday is we're going to be taking into account a lot of players that are going to have uh, a higher percentage of playing time. You know, we're talking guys with injury risk and, and so on and so forth. Uh, a lot of players will go up and some players will go down based on the anticipated delay in the start of the season. What kind of assumptions are you making as far as the delay in terms of, like, are you assuming there's going to be a specific number of games or is it still projecting for a 162-game season? Well, what I'm going to put together on Sportsline is uh, an assumption of we're going to do a June 1st assumption. Uh, that's the the most optimistic assumption of, of how many games are going to be played. Personally, I think the whole season is going to be canceled. Um, I think there's a very good likelihood of that. I mean, think about it. If somebody comes, if we come back June 1st and somebody on the Orioles test positive on June 15th, they're going to have to shut the whole uh, thing down again. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to shut it down. They're going to start stop. You're going to start and stop. So I think there's a good, I hope not. Uh, and that's why I'm projecting June 1st. Um, and so I'm going to take into account um, players who are gaining in value. I think that the players are gaining the value are injured players who were due to come back sometime in 2020. Uh, pitchers with innings caps. Um, if, if a player like, I don't know, Jesus Lazardo, AJ Puck had an innings cap, um, they might have been just shut down at some point. Now if they come back, they're just going to go the whole season and, and pitch uh, almost all their innings. So they're going to gain. Also prospects, um, you know, guys like Joe Adele. Well, maybe he wouldn't have come back in July, but now if he comes up in July, he's going to play most of the season. So uh, can't miss prospects will be up. Um, it goes the other way. Players who decrease in value take uh, suspended players. Yeah. Um, Domingo Herman. well... <laughs> If he was supposed to miss uh, 50 games, he's now going to still miss 50 games. And if this whole season shut down, his 2021 value will be lowered. So ATC will take that into account. Um, prospects also, this one's harder to figure. Um, I haven't done so many updates for this, but sometimes uh, there's some service time manipulation needed. Mm -hmm. um, they just hold prospects down for like a month. So to the extent I can take that into account, they'll also get a lower value. Um, personally, I'm not going to reflect this in, into the projections, but 
I think closers are, uh, are going to be should be valued lower. I mean, if, if I'm a, a team and I'm on, the, I'm on the fringe of making the playoffs, first of all, with a shorter season, you're going to have a higher chance of making the playoffs now, right? Because it's more random. Yeah. But also, if a closer's struggling, there's no time to have him work it out. Every game counts more. The, the manager's going to go with the next guy. So uh, guys who are not fantastic closers who uh, don't have big track records. Jose LeClerc lost his role last year. I mean, if he falters in his first two outings, goodbye. Uh, so I would bring down personally my value of closers in auctions and, and drafts. One thing that's going to be really interesting, and it's sort of it's hard to take into account with you know your projection systems, but it, it's something to keep in mind. Um, there's going to be less time for regression to take place. If a guy gets off to a slower start, you know, usually you have 162 games to bet on them getting back to it. But those guys who get off to a slow start, there's going to be less time for them to make up for it also, but those slow starts are going to hurt you more. It's going to be oh, the, really interesting yeah. to figure out how to approach this. And then from a 2021 standpoint, let's say we play a 120-game season. Go look at 1994 and 1995. Go look at 1981, the strike-shortened seasons. We had some absolutely bonkers stat lines. You know, we had uh, Matt Williams was on pace to break the single-season home run record in either 1994 yeah. or 1995. I can't remember which one. Jeff Bagwell. Yeah. Jeff Bagwell had this crazy season in one of those years. Greg Maddox, I think, had an ERA below two both years. Um, now he was in a stretch where. That was just kind of what he did. But we're going to see more outlier performances in 2020 yeah. just because there's going to be less, less of a sample size. And so you're going to see Tony Gwynn hit 394 in uh, 94, 95. And so you're going to see some stuff like that that's going to make it harder to yeah. value guys for 2021. And it's going to be fascinating to see. Like, I, I don't know if you can kind of bake that uncertainty in, into the projections at all, but there are going to be more guys, probably, who hit their 90th percentile projection and, f and more guys who hit their 10th percentile just because yeah. of that increased randomness. I mean, for projections that do um, more of a stochastic uh, projections and, and where they simulate, you know, a number of games, yeah, you're going to see, you're not going to see the average or the median projections, like from what you get out of a projection system change much, but the percentiles are going to change so much. There's going to be a lot more volatility. I mean, I'm recommending to people that if you're rostering a pitching staff, that you roster less starting pitching and you roster an extra middle reliever. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Who are playing six starters? That number six starter, if he has a bad outing, ooh, he's going to really kill your ERA and whip in, in a roto format. So you're probably better off for risk mitigation throwing an extra relief pitcher in there to keep those ratios as controlled as you possibly can. It's going to introduce a lot of really interesting uh, strategy like that. Another thing that you'll you'll want to keep in mind is that like guys who don't walk much are going to have an even greater impact on your batting average in a roto league because they're going to take up a higher percent or not a higher percentage but each individual at bat is going to have more value so it's going to be or yeah i think that's how the, the right way to put it. it it's it's going to change a lot of like the underlying game theory surrounding fantasy baseball it it, it could be really fascinating 
You don't think we're at all at risk of overthinking this? Well, I think we're at risk of overthinking everything, Scott. <laughs> I, I've seen a lot of wild ideas floating around on Twitter, and it's just like, eh, we're still going to draft the best players. I mean, it's not, <laughs> let's not, um, let's not dig so deep into the minutiae here. No, you're going to draft the same players with obviously the, the different uh, adjustments because of the timing of it. But in terms of roster construction and risk mitigation, that really should play into your role. I just I, I just mentioned the, the ERA thing with pitchers. Yeah, you want to avoid blowups. I mean, if you're playing in, in a head-to-head, um, you know that that's probably going to be about the same, right? A weekly head-to-head yeah. thing, it's really, really the same. But for season-long accumulation, stuff like roto um you know the safer guys to me they're going to be worth more and they're going to be better to roster the five category combo guys i like them better because less of a chance to fall off the map and you know will somebody raise and be fantastic uh, outside maybe but you just don't know where they're going to be so it to me it's a roster construction issue not just a a who to pick yeah blow-ups are going to hurt you more this year if if, assuming there's a shortened schedule that that's that's a key thing. But when it, but when it really good starts, also count for more. Slightly, but the number, the the range between the great start and the good start is three runs. The range between a bad start wow. and a really really bad start is a lot more. Yeah, the, the downside is a lot stronger than the upside. Sure, uh, if uh, Garrett Cole has a fantastic start, it's going to count more than it would have. But the guys who blow up, oh, that's really going to crush you. The magnitude is outweighed in the downside. Yeah, I think... Just draft good pitchers, though, like I do. I mean, you don't have to worry (laughs) about it. Yeah, I mean, it it does make some of those late-round dart throws a little harder to trust, and that's one of my things, is I always like to trust the late-round dart throws who I like, you know, the the Mitch Kellers and, and, you know, Dylan Ceases, but... They are high-variance picks, and with less time for them to figure it out, you're going to have to potentially pull the plug on them a little earlier than you might otherwise. Yeah. And I'll also say that the people who have uncertain playing time or uh, fighting battles, like take a guy like Tommy Edmond, okay? We weren't sure, is he going to play second? Is he going to play outfield? Where is he going to play? Well, when you have a shortened season and the team wants to make the playoffs, they're going to play with a higher-skilled guy. Tommy Edmond had a 2.3 war in half a season last year. They, they're going to play him. Uh, they're going to find time, and I'd value those guys even more. I take a look at, like, DJ LeMahieu last year. We didn't know, is he going to play third, second? Well, when Andahar's injury went, all of a sudden his value went through the roof. Same thing's going to happen with those guys, and it's even going to be more pressing because of the shortened season. All right, let's move on to look at some of our favorite and least favorite picks from each round according to ADP. We're going to be going by based on Fantasy Pros ADP. We talked about this. A little bit, went through the first three rounds yesterday. Uh, basically, what we're going to do is look at players 36 through 48 for, or 37 through 48 first and just say, you know, who's your favorite player to draft among this group and who's your least favorite? And so we'll start with 37 through 48. For me, my favorite, this is not a range that I love. You know, we talked about round three also kind of being an area that it's just a little... It's kind of a no man's land between like the super studs and then kind of everyone else. And so for me, round four, it's George Springer and Cattell Marte. Uh, 
there are definitely concerns about whether both of them can sustain their 2019 breakouts. There are obviously injury concerns with George Springer. But these are two guys who last season basically performed like first or second round picks, and you're getting them 30 spots later than that. So that's what I like. George Springer going 41st overall in ADP. Cattell Marte going 42nd. Scott, I know you like Cattell Marte a lot. Uh, what do you think about that? I The two players I tend to draft most often from this range are Jordan Alvarez and Cattell Marte. Yeah, I think, I think they have been downgraded for um, just concerns about repeatability and i think it's i think it's overkill i think i think the underlying numbers are good enough that i'm i'm willing to at least trust them to perform like fourth rounders and i think you can get a lot more impact potentially um from that group like jordan alvarez is somebody i love to draft if i if I emphasize steals at the start of the draft, like if I got a Trey Turner and passed up the the big hitting stats that I could have gotten in that same range, uh, I think somebody knowing you can target Jordan Alvarez with your fourth pick makes that a lot easier, or, or your third pick to be safer. But that's 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 a pairing that I think makes a lot of sense. Ariel, who's your favorite player to draft from this group, or favorite player? <laughs> well. I was going to say that my least favorite player was Kittel Marte, actually. Oh. Um, I, I, since we talked about him, I'll just talk about him now. Um, yeah, I really can't see him making this, this uh, his his price here. I, I don't see him as a fourth rounder. Uh, regression, regression, regression. Uh, I hate picking players that have had their outsized career year. Um, and, and he did by all means last year. Uh, the, oh, those guys are almost always bust the following year. Anybody who picks a, an outsized outsized uh, career year it's just going to be a, a bad value next year i mean he had a 380 babbit last year in the second half 380 is ungodly um, most players average about a 300 maybe he's a little bit faster than others he should have averaged a 310 or so uh, babbit by the way is a batting average on balls and play uh it, it, it's if you have a very high babbit it means you've been very lucky that balls are sneaking through if you have a low babbit it means they're not so he was lucky his home run at for fly ball rate more than doubled from the previous year to this year. He became a monster home run guy. Uh, if you actually take a look at uh, um, what he's done in terms of power, most of his home runs were just enough home runs, meaning they just one foot over the wall. They just made it. If he played in a uh, longer ballpark, he would have had half the number of homers. So be wary of that. I, I don't really believe that, and especially if the ball goes back to like the 2018 ball, he's probably going to lose half his homers. Um, not to mention his walk rate has now been in steady decline. He had a back injury last uh, September. There's just so much uncertainty and so much regression. I cannot see myself earning profit out of this guy, so I'm going to stay away, and that's why I don't like him here. That's one of the tough things when we're talking about regression. Uh, there's you know statistical regression, and then there's skill set regression, and in Cattell Marte's case, the underlying skill numbers mostly backed up what he did. You know, his, his hard hit rate increased dramatically. His, uh, his barrel rate was up. You know, the expected batting average, the expected slugging percentage, mostly back up what he did. And so it's always hard because I'm with you. I, I'm almost always the bet against the career year guy. But 
in Cattell Marte's case, the, the thing I do like about him is if we were buying him solely based on what he did last season, he'd probably be a second round pick. And so right. there yeah. is and a, if we a bought him, if we were buying him what he did in the second half of the first, he'd be like the third overall which, pick. Which I mean, he had a three eighty bad bit, but he yes. had three fifty eight. Like, nobody's me... drafting him to hit three fifty eight. <sighs> Come on, Ariel. No, 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 no. But uh, still, the luck is there. Let me ask you a question: What's the difference between him and uh, Marcus Semyon? Well, that's another player Scott loves. Yeah, but Marcus Semyon is not going in the fourth round. Marcus Semyon, I got in TGFBI in the seventh, eighth round. Yeah, um, I, like, I like I like Semyon. That's fine. Yeah, the, the I, value for his 30 homers that you're getting at Simeon is better than the value that you're getting for Kettle Marte. So I think right. that w- what I'm saying is... there's a batting average difference. There's a position yep. scarcity issue. Um, those, those would be the biggest differences, I guess. But yeah, yeah I, 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 I do think Simeon's production is a little bit more sustainable than Kettle Marte's, but... Even so, I mean, you're talking about an expected batting average of like 290 something for Cattell Marte, um, which is more than I would count on from Simeon. Right. So, so for me, the 25 points of batting average is not worth the the three four round difference, you know, that you're getting. Um, but anyways, move on to my favorite player. I'd rather take Austin Meadows in in this round. Um, he is what I call a many paths to value player he is at least a half of a standard deviation better than the entire player the average player pool in all five roto scoring categories stolen bases runs homers you name it he's above average there's actually only 11 players that fit that description you know you got all the guys at the top trout uh yelich and all that uh and you have austin meadows a little bit later on actually have keston hayura who's also in that range, which is very interesting. Uh, but uh, Austin Meadows, listen, he hit 33 homers last year, and that was being out in April with a thumb injury. He hit 21 homers in the second half and hitting 290 with no Babbitt luck at all. To me, he's the guy who's the potential first-rounder. He's only 25 years old. He's got more upside than almost any of the other guys in this range. I'd, I'd go Austin Meadows if I had to pick in the fourth round. The thing I struggle with with Austin Meadows, and I do like him, uh, but when we talk about single-year outliers, he's a pretty significant one, too. If you look at what he was doing in the minors, this wasn't someone who routinely posted absolutely monstrous lines in the minors. In 2018 at AAA, he was just about an average hitter. In 2017 at AAA, he was significantly below average. And so if you look at what he did last season at the major league level relative to the league he played in it was actually one of the best seasons of his entire professional career i struggle with what that means because he was a guy who the scouts absolutely loved and always said this is coming this is coming but the numbers Uh weren't quite there uh you know in 2018 Split between both the Pirates and the Rays, he was actually a little better with the Pirates, whereas the Rays are usually a team who we, uh, we think of as getting the most out of their players. And then all of a sudden, last season, he takes this monster step forward, was better than pretty much ever in his professional career. I don't quite know how to handle that. Yeah, I mean, uh, power is sometimes needs 
time to develop. So I, I'm not surprised that, that it actually took a little bit longer, and I think he, he's there. Uh, either way, I mean, uh, the trade for Chris Archer, that's going to be probably the best trade in the last five years. Uh, it has to be. What a crazy fleecing they, the uh, Rays did. And it, was, <laughs> it looked bad the moment they hit it. Yeah. 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 It's only gotten much worse since then because it's 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 Meadows, it's Glass now, it's Shane Baz, who oh, the yeah. Rays have kind of glass nowed in the minors in terms of getting his arsenal uh making it more of a power arsenal, which is like Glass now better suited for his skill. And um yeah, that that's I mean, you, you, you're hopeful Chris Archer's going to bounce back this year, Chris, but it, it would take a full bounce back. And uh, th- it, it would take more than a full bounce for the trade to come even close to equal value. Chris Archer would have to pick like, pitch like 1994 Greg Maddox or 1999 Pedro Martinez for that trade not to look like a fleecing. I think there's basically no world in which the Pirates end up happy with that trade at this point, especially now that they're actually like developing their pitchers and you know using them the way they should be rather than having everybody throw sinkers 65 percent of the time like they did for years let's move on to that fourth round and uh you know this is players 49 through 60 in adp and for me there are this is actually arranged with a lot of players i like i like keston Hera a lot i like lucas giolito a lot but for me, the clear best value in this range is Charlie Morton at number 50 overall. He has been, you know, I did a couple of the, like, blind player comparisons yesterday on Twitter, and uh, the first one I did was just Patrick Corbin versus Steven Strasburg, and 70% of the Twitter followers picked Patrick Corbin when they didn't know the names applied to them. Who would have thunk? But I added Charlie Morton to that poll. Patrick Corbin still won, but Charlie Morton got more votes than Steven Strasburg, and that was without taking into account that he's going 28 picks later. And so you I, could have been, If you included 2017 and there was 2018 and 2019, Yeah, it was, I mean, the result would have been different, right? Possibly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't <laughs> because I wanted the results to be what they were. <laughs> it was not a random sampling size. It was not... Uh, it was not. It was a bad use of polling, but it gave me it gave me the result I wanted, and that yeah. that made me you, you feel made good. Your, you made your point. But okay. yeah, it's also worth noting Charlie Morton wasn't bad in 2017. You know, he he was starting to figure yeah. it out with the Astros. 2018, he really figured out, and 2019, yeah. he was a top seven starting pitcher. He was exactly, basically, exactly as good as Steven Strasburg last year, except he won yeah. two fewer games. Yeah, no, I mean, it would be, it would more bring down Corbin because he was, you know, he didn't become good until, he happened to become good in 2018 and that's when your poll started, which was, which was interesting. But no, I mean, like part of the, I've, I've, I've shared this stance with you before, like part of my thinking on why I'm taking Strasburg first is because I might want both Strasburg and Corbin. And I'm more likely to get both of them if I take Strasburg first. Now, I've, I've actually not drafted Strasburg, I think, in a single league yet. And I've drafted a lot of Corbin. So it's, it's, not, like, it's not like ranking them that way has hurt me. Um, I do think Corbin's a little safer. 
I think Strasburg showed last year that his best is better. And I, I, as we've talked about before, I like some of the underlying changes with his pitch selection, uh, making him more of a ground ball pitcher. Uh, we're talking about Charlie Morton, though, Scott. Oh, we're talking about Charlie Morton. My favorite okay, sorry. pick in I got, I got off on a Strasburg tangent. Right, I'm sorry. I already won the Strasburg argument. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Charlie Morton, it, he kind of answered the workload question, right? Because the Astros were being... Just because they didn't need to have him pitch like a frontline starter in terms of that many innings, um, the Rays did, and he was able to get them, and... I'm fine with him. I, I think he's I think he's probably pretty good value. The age question uh brings him down a little and the and the fact it was just the one year. Uh he's talking retirement potentially after this season. I don't know if the delayed start is going to change his thinking there, but uh you know, he's he's he has just downside in terms of how old he is but I, I we have we did obviously he's coming off a career best season so i'm not that concerned about it i think that's just probably the thinking there why he goes this late but i'm look i'm fine with him as my number two guy that'd be great ariel what about you who's your favorite pick in this round well before i say my favorite pick i i, I do love charlie morton here and i have him on two of my teams uh, he's a guy who at worst pitched 3.13 era in the last two seasons had over 200 strikeouts and all he has to do is pitch half a season, right? It's a shortened season. He's a guy that, that gains in value, so I, I, I love Morton. Uh, my guy in this range is Chris Paddock. Uh, Chris Paddock is one of those guys that I think would have had an innings limit. Wouldn't have been like a hard 160. It might have been like 180, but he can actually pitch and, and, and go the distance the whole way every single time. So he's going to gain more innings now than people think. He had a 13% swing strike rate in the second half which is elite he only had a 10k per nine in the second half but it's gaining and gaining every single half season uh and he's gaining from the minors we're talking guy who's gonna have a low three ra a one one whip this is basically zach ranking numbers and by all accounts you can make him your fantasy ace i, I just took him in tout wars head to head this past sunday um and, and he's my ace there I, I think he's a nice nice value here in the fifth round the biggest question for me is that third pitch. You know, most pitchers, he's kind of pitching backwards uh, relative to a lot of young pitchers. Most young pitchers have uh, kind of the Mitch Keller approach where they've got the big fastball, they've got the great breaking ball, and they're trying to come up with that third pitch, uh, the changeup. In his case, the changeup incredible, one of the best in the majors. The fastball is really good, high spin, commands it, locates it really well. The curveball was just kind of a show-me pitch, and he spent the second half of the season working on it. He spent the offseason working on it. He developed a new grip for it. Unfortunately, we don't know how that's going to look. And so I just, I do have questions about how he's going to go, how he's going to do going third time through the order, uh, pitching deep into games without, if he doesn't have that reliable third pitch. And unfortunately, we just don't know if he does yet. He didn't last year. And while the ERA was really good, some of the peripherals weren't quite as, uh, you know, some of the defense-independent pitching stats weren't quite as high on him. So that's the only concern for me. It's not really a, a significant concern. I actually I don't think he's a good value or a bad value here. I don't think I've drafted him this season either. But it's not like I'm opposed to him. You know, he wasn't my least favorite pick in this round for sure. So who is? 
Josh Hader, I just, I can't see paying up for, for the number one closer any year, really. I, I, generally speaking, if I have to pick a bust at relief pitcher, it's going to be whoever is being drafted as the number one closer. And in his case, you know, he's going 10 picks ahead of the number two closer. Josh Hader is awesome. He might be the best reliever in baseball. But yeah. I'm not 100% sure the Brewers want him as their full-time closer. It wouldn't surprise me if someone else came in and took some of the saves away. He's going to give you amazing ratios. He's going to give you incredible strikeout numbers. Uh, but saves are, unfortunately, a significant part of a, a pitcher's value. And so picking him in the fifth round, 56th overall, it just feels like reaching. And, and he might lose saves to Corey Knebel, who's yeah. going to be coming back, uh, and he'll be ready on time. Uh, I, I mean, Hayter's a great value in terms of he'll get as many strikeouts as like a number three starting pitcher. Yeah. So he's going to uh, have more strikeouts than Kyle Hendricks. But I just, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I, you usually won't lose money in fantasy baseball fading whoever the number one relief pitcher in any given season is. Last season, it worked out really well. Edwin Diaz was not the number one reliever in baseball last season. No. I don't think that's going to happen to Josh Hader, but it's just the margin for error is slim there when you're picking yeah. him ahead of the pack at that position. Yeah. Well, I wonder. I I know you're concerned about Corey Knebel, Ariel, but I wonder if um, what you were saying about wanting lower volat less volatility among pitchers and maybe slotting an extra reliever in your lineup as opposed to another starting pitcher, if that makes you, if that same kind of thinking makes you more inclined to draft Hater or, or Kirby Yates ten picks later, like a a, a high end closer, or if if I mean, I don't know where you stand on closers to begin with, but if um, if that is factoring into your thinking here. Yeah, the the closers that are going to make it the whole way are going to be of huge values. If Kirby Yates is the man and there's nobody close, he is going to earn a lot of value because now a save is worth more. Um, and especially if you don't want to have uh, a, a lot of crappy starting pitchers, it pays to load up on, on starters. I'm not saying pick a lot of these closers who cost a lot. You know, I was just mm -hmm. saying that you should put middle relievers. No, I, I agree, though, that Hayter is, is a bad value here. And any closer is... Is, it's too pricey here. I mean, take the Oakland Athletics. You know, last year, Liam Hendricks was the main guy in the end. Uh, previous year, Blake Trinan. Uh, Trinan. Um, you know, the, the Oakland A's actually had a different opening day closer in each of the last five years. And they've had some pretty good closers. It just shows you how fickle closers are. Uh, and they're just terrible fantasy baseball investments. I'd rather go for quantity over quality. I'd rather take four of the $1 closers than take any one of these guys were going to cost you a fourth, fifth, sixth round picks. Yeah, all I right. think we're all on the same page there. Not, let's, let's move on. To not the paying for saves. All right, let's move on to the sixth round. And uh, I know my favorite pick is not Scott's favorite pick. My favorite pick is Yohan Moncada. He's another guy. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe I'm, I'm making uh, making Ariel grind his teeth with all my picks because it's all these guys who. Uh, who broke out in big ways last season, but in Moncada's case, it was him finally living up to the the player he was projected to be in the minors. You know, he wasn't very good in 2017 or 2018, but there were underlying reasons to believe he would be good. And we talked about him a lot yesterday. 
the reasons I like him, when he swings the bat, really good things happen. He hits the ball hard. He's fast. He makes things happen. In 2017 and 2018, he just wasn't swinging the bat enough. He had like a 40% swing rate. Last season, that went up to about 47%, 48%. It did lead to an increase in swinging strike rate, but it actually conversely led to fewer strikeouts because he took a lot of strike three lookings early on in his career. Yohan Mankata, the skill set is there. It's obvious. For me, the, the changes that he made were changes to his approach. They were changes to his intention. And that's why I think they'll stick. And he might run more this year. They've talked yeah. about that as well. Yeah, but Mankata is a guy who I like better, you know, for, for not falling flat. Um, he did have a 406 BABIP yes. last year, which was the, the highest of anybody in like 30 years. Um, so he, he's definitely not going to hit for average like, like he did. I mean, he was like a 230 hitter for the first couple of years. Uh, but no, the power speed blend is, is, is enormous. Um, if you were going to consider a guy like Tim Anderson, Mankata is right there. And I think he qualifies at multiple positions too. So he's very good for fantasy rosters in terms of flexibility. My favorite my f I'm sorry? It depends where you're playing. On CBS, I think he's just third base eligible. Oh, okay. I mean, sometimes he, he could be a second base guy. Yeah. Um, it, it, my favorite guy in this range is actually uh, Hugh Darvish. Um, you know, guys who have good control, we found, have now good command, I, I should say, uh, are lasting longer and they're more valuable guys like kyle hendricks guys who don't walk a lot of players they're becoming more durable and they last longer they can win you more games more quality starts and that's you darvish you know that in the second half of last year in his final 81 and change innings he only threw seven walks seven walks that's less than a walk per nine innings so he's got an extremely good floor for a whip um his average fastball velocity last year in the second half was 95 miles an hour. That's the highest it's ever been in his career. His strikeout rate was 13K per nine. So you got no walks for him. You got tons of strikeouts, stronger stuff, stays in the game longer. He's a great great spot for him. I love him as like my number two pitcher, and you can get him in the sixth round. Uh, so Darvish is my, my pick here. And Scott, you're a fan of Darvish, right? I am. Yes, I I feel like while well, I don't expect him to sustain his second half production over a full season, uh, I feel like it's closer to the true Darvish than the first half. And then obviously 2018 was just can entirely throw that out the window because of the 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 injury he was dealing with. But yeah, he's he's a very he's always been a, such a good source of strikeouts. Um, and if if he if he's figured out something there with the control, uh, I mean, because the strike throwing we saw down the stretch, it was it was definitely an outlier for his career. Um, but he he made some adjustments to his pitch selection that I know contributed to it, and and uh, if that's something he can halfway sustain, then I mean, you're talking about a legitimate Cy Young contender here. So that's. I, I, he usually ends up being more like my number three than my number two, just because of the way I'm emphasizing starting pitching. But it's it's somebody I'm happy to take here. I, I think maybe the best value among this this group here, the 60 to 72 range, is Matt Olson at 64 overall, who I think might be more Pete Alonzo than even Pete Alonzo is. And uh, is a 
sneaky pick to lead the majors in home runs. Uh, just he has a swing that's perfectly suited for home runs in terms of where he ranks in exit velocity and the launch angle. Some bad splits at home and some bad splits against lefties are something that have held him back to this point. But if like you look at his expected stats versus his actual stats last year, he underperformed his expected stats and still had but those an incredibly be, productive year. Those would be reasons why he might underperform his expected right. stats moving forward. Right. The, the bad home park in particular, um, but also struggles against lefties and... You know, I'm not sure about his splits with um, with the shift on versus off, but that's another thing that could uh, potentially hamper uh, a player from reaching their kind of peripheral value. But, you know, I think Matt Olson is a good reason to not reach for Pete Alonzo, but then, like, you know, maybe Jorge Soler is a reason to not reach for Matt Olson. Maybe Miguel Sano is a reason not to reach for Jorge Soler. For me, it's like... And then there's Nelson Cruz, who's 83rd overall, and we'll get to him, you know, probably tomorrow, and he'll be my favorite pick in whatever round that is, the eighth round. Um, hey, um, can I ask you guys a question? Sure. Uh, here's, a, here's a thought question. You were talking about, like, Darvish had a, a very an amazing second half, an okay first half. Are you guys more inclined to buy into a guy if, he ha- if the player had an amazing second half but an okay first half, or is it better to buy into a guy who had an amazing first half but an okay second half. Like, which one is better for you? Well, what do you think, Chris? You well, got your you, <laughs> thing my, you always say. My catchphrase on this podcast is uh, yeah. full-season statistics are more predictive than half-season statistics. For me, it's just, was there a reason? You know, in Yu Darvish's yeah. case, um, you know, I think he there was a pitch that he didn't really have command of. I can't remember what it was, but it, it's, it's, it's something where, like, if a player was dealing with an injury early on and then got healthy, like Corey Seager, where he was clearly hampered coming back from the hip and elbow injury, and then from like the beginning of May on was pretty much the guy we've always hoped he would be. You know, that's where I'm more willing to to balance it. But in terms of like first half versus second half, is it better to get off to a hot start or a great finish? I, from what I've seen at least. I don't think there's much predictive value to either one. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things where you can talk about the the macro what um, what the wide what what league wide if you plug every player into a formula what it shows it probably shows that the second half's not predictive and yet there are those examples where uh, a second half resurgence then leads to a breakthrough and so what is what is behind it is a question that's worth asking um so i mean generally speaking i'm going to value the second half over the first half to get back to the specific question but if if there has to be a reason for why i think the player improved in the second half then um then it's just being you know kind of the way the season played out yeah I, yeah I, I just think we remember those guys who turned the big second half into a breakout season rather than you know the guys who have the big second half and then just kind right. of fall short like brett right. lowry was a guy who who very famously one year uh maybe his rookie season or his second season put together this huge run at the end of the season and 
you know, fantasy people were all in on Brett Lowry. Everyone was. Everybody loved him. And then it turned out that it was just a good month. You know, sometimes, sometimes guys just have good stretches. You know, we, we talk about guys getting hot. And now we have all these underlying stats and we can look at it and we'll say, well, no, it wasn't fluky because he hit the ball harder. But sometimes guys just hit the ball harder. Some guy, sometimes guys just do get hot in like the classic hot hand theory uh, way of thinking about it. And then it turns out to have just been like they were just locked in or whatever, whatever answer it is. You know, maybe they figured something out and then pitchers figured something out about them. I don't necessarily... I, there need to be extraordinary circumstances for me to take a, a, a big second half and say, well, we're just going to kind of brush aside what happened before and say this is the new, the new normal, I guess is the way I would put it. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with everything you guys say that, you know, especially you look at the whole season. Don't just look, don't just look at one half. The one thing I'll say, though, is if a player gets off to a red hot start in the first half, He'll probably get the playing time the entire rest sure. of the season, even if he sucks. But if a player has a crappy first half, he'll have less of an opportunity to dig himself out of the hole. So in that sense, maybe I tilt a little bit more towards the second half than the first. Sure. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. We did not get to emails. Unfortunately, there were a couple I did want to get to, but we'll get to those tomorrow. Thanks so much for Ariel, to Ariel for coming on. Uh, Ariel Cohen, you can check out the ATC projections on sportsline.com. Ariel, where else can people find you? Yeah, you can read my stuff on uh, Fangraphs, on Rotoballer. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. And you can check out my podcast, which is the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational Beat the Shift Podcast. Check that out. All right, and obviously Scott White, you know where to find him. Right here and on CBS Fantasy. And on Twitter at CBS Scott White. Right? I got that right? You're CBS That's first? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a CBS, CBS second Scott guy. White. Neither of us have the clout of an Adam Azer to just ignore the CBS brand in our names. He's got the personal <laughs> brand. Our personal brands aren't quite as strong. We need that CBS branding. Thanks so much for listening to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll see you then. <laughs>